Now, more tips with your host, Rebecca Rogers. Remember that in our program we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Hello and welcome to our program, Lifestyle Improvement. This is your host, Rebecca Rogers. Today we're excited to have Joanne Lara. Ms. Lara is an expert in the field of movement therapy. She's a professional dancer turned educator that has used her passion for movement and music to enrich the population with autism and founded the Autism Movement Therapy Organization. She's an adjunct professor at National University. She was the technical advisor for Kiefer Sutherland's Fox TV show Touch and produced the documentary for PBS called Generation A, Portraits of Autism and the Arts for Individuals with Autism. Ms. Lara is a columnist for Autism Asperger's Digest and is the author of the book Autism Movement Therapy Method, Waking Up the Brain, a practical guide for the use of movement and music to stimulate brain function, sensory processing, and hopefully decrease difficult-to-manage behaviors in children with autism spectrum disorders. She is joining us today all the way from California via Skype to give us more insight about her wonderful mission. And we are so thankful to have you here, Joanne. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. Your biography is so long. (laughs) It was a little hard to pick the important things because they were all so very important. I would like you to have the time to really develop and share with us all of the wonderful things that you have done and that you are doing currently. But first of all, I would like to get an idea of who you are as a person and what inspires you. I think back at your career and what you have done, and I think what inspired a successful dancer to decide to make a difference by using her talents to teach dance to children with autism? I actually started as a, when I was a substitute teacher in the LA Unified School District. And I was just teaching typical uh, general ed classes, and um, I kept getting substitute calls for uh, special education. And I found that I loved working with the kids with special ed. And even more specific, I loved working with the kids with autism. And it took me back to a time, this was in 1997, so we're 20 years ago, um, when I was a... Uh, a freshman at University of Florida was a psych major and it was I was taking psych 101 and I had to pick a case study organization to work with and I picked an on-campus university I was University of Florida on-campus study group of teenagers with autism and I had specifically a case study of a, a young man who was 11 or 12 who uh, was nonverbal or what we call limited communicator. And I would take my clipboard there twice a week and I would follow him around and write, well, you know, we did this. And when I walked in, that little guy was putting together that 1945 radio in the corner again. And, you know, I mean, all the typical things that we, you know, that we know about characteristic of autism. One day we were, they had a birthday party and they were playing a not age appropriate game which was musical chairs. And, um, you know, you move around and 
one chair is taken out each time. And if you don't have a chair, you're out of the game. And I was pulling my little guy, you know, tugging him, prompting. We would call that a full physical prompt nowadays uh, by his shirt and, and saying, come on, buddy. Come on, buddy. If the music stops and we sit down and we don't have a chair, we're out of the game. The music stops. He turned to me and he said, my name's not Buddy. And I went, wow. I've been coming here for almost a semester. Hmm. And this little guy's never said a word to me. And now he's angry with me. And he's had enough of me and annoyed. And he's now going, he's now talking to me. I said, I couldn't, I was 19 years old. So, that, you know, couldn't believe it. And oh my gosh, that I love these guys. I love these this population of people. Fast forward to I was teaching. Uh, I had been called for a substitute job. I lived in Hollywood, but the job was in uh, in the valley. And I drove about twenty five miles, and I got to the the office for you know at the public school, and I came in and I said, "I'm Joanne Lauren. I'm here to teach what I thought I had heard the woman say at five thirty in the morning." an art class. I said, I'm here to teach the art class. And the woman looks up at me and she says, we don't need an, a, an art substitute. You must mean the art substitute. My goodness. And I said, well, what the heck is that in my own mind? Um, but I hadn't driven 25 miles for no paycheck. I wasn't going to go home. And I said, yeah, that's it. That's the art class. Meanwhile, I have no idea what this class is. She slaps a map on the table. She says, we're here. You're going to walk here. And then way past the football field and the dumpsters and the, you know, so, you know, the typical story in the 90s of where special education was Mm -hmm. at that time, literally and physically uh, at the outside of the campus behind everyone else and uh, near the dumpsters. And I walked and I walked and it was a bungalow and I opened the door and I walked in and I saw one little guy that was sitting at his desk, middle school. They're kooky and they're spooky. The Adam family. And I looked and I went, these are my names, not buddy kids. I love these guys. And it so happened that the teacher was going out on a long term and they asked me would I take over the class and I did it. And then she came back and they had another long term at a high school, not far away. And it was a CBI class, what they call community based instruction class, uh, ninth grade to 22 years old. Our kids can stay in the school, public school system with moderate to severe eligibility till they're 22. I loved it. And one of the counselors there said, you know, you're so good with these guys. And I was doing the IPs. I was doing everything. I was like, get out your pencil and paper. Nobody was working with these kids academically anymore. They had all given up. This was 1990, uh, 1999. And they weren't being taught anything. It was a, it was, they were, it was a babysitting job for most of these educators at that time. Things have changed. I will tell you 20 years. We've made a lot of progress. This counselor said, I'd like to write a letter to LA Unified School District for you. Um, would you like to do this and be an educator of special ed? And I said, well, sure. Yeah, I, I love these kids. And uh, LA Unified certainly called, they called me and um, I, they said, we'd like to offer you a, um, a contract for moderate to severe students with autism special day class. And I said, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Uh, what's the catch? 
they said, you know, you have to get a credential, a moderate to severe education specialist, California K to 12 credential. And I said, well, how hard could that be? This is your host, Rebecca, and now we will take a short break and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101. Caregiver Survival 101. Because care starts with you. LA Unified certainly called, they called me and um, they said we'd like to offer you a, um, a contract for moderate to severe students with autism special day class. And I said, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Uh, what's the catch? They said, you know, you have to get a credential, a moderate to severe education specialist, California K to 12 credential. And I said, well, how hard could that be? And six years later, working from seven in the morning until you know, three in the afternoon or three thirty in the afternoon, getting in the car and driving to Cal State Northridge, which was way uh, 40 miles away from my, where I taught. Um, I got my moderate to severe education specialist credential and my master's in moderate to severe and multiple disabilities. And I haven't looked back. I, I used a very, very strong movement and uh, music behavioral program in my classroom that first year, 2000. And I saw kids who came to me who were rolling on the floor and skimming on the lights with no language leave two years later, uh, working at computers, assisting in general ed classrooms. Will you be going to middle school with us, Miss Lara? No, but your mother has my email and my phone and you can call me. To, we are going to miss you. And I said, you know what? Bingo. When I'm, I'm going to get that master's. I'm going to jump out of the public education system and I'm going to develop a program that's movement and music based for these kids. And that's what I did. Uh, when I got my master's, I moved into a university setting. Uh, teaching as an adjunct at uh, National University in the Special Ed Department. I've been there almost 11 years, and I wrote the Autism um, Certificate, Assessment and Behavioral Applications in Autism, for all the teachers in California who work with kids with autism, whether it it be mild to moderate or moderate to severe, must get an autism certificate. I'm in agreement. I think if you're going to work with our population, you need skill sets and tools to do it. And so I wrote that course and I teach that course. I teach a lot of other courses, but I I love teaching that course because 
behavior, as we know, is, you know, there's a criteria for eligibility of autism. And we really can't get to the other uh, pieces of social and academic if we don't have uh, behavior kind of reined in, if you will. And so it's very important that parents learn the behavioral skills uh, in order to have the dynamics of their family run smoothly. Uh, and it's also important for educators to understand behavior and how to work with kids in a classroom setting. Uh, with uh, uh, I'm an ABAist. I have a, an advanced graduate degree in uh, applied behavior analysis as well. I travel all over the world. I think we have about 750 certified AMT providers, meaning 750 people globally who have gone through my 10-hour, two-day certification training, autism movement therapy, uh, level two training. And I have a number of other people, probably about 100 people that are level one. It's a core, I teach it as a course. Um, I don't teach it. It's a course that's um, offered online and uh, you can take a level one course, which is a broad stroke on movement and music as an intervention for individuals with autism. But now I'm working, I segued and moved into transitioning uh, students because I saw so many of the students who were with me, third, fourth, and fifth grade, who are now 24 years old, who don't have jobs. And I said, you know what, that's not right. It's just not right. You know, we can wish and hope all we want for our kids to have jobs, but if we don't teach them the skill set in order to be in a workplace, they're not going to. They're not going to get a job and they're not going to keep one. Perfect. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because we're going to actually talk a lot more about that um, in a few minutes. I did want to go back to your organization, to your method, because I am fascinated by that. And I want to hear a little bit more about specifics concerning the method. So your, your method of instruction, I take it, you know, you're saying that teachers can take it. They, they don't have to be dancers. It's just a, a general concept of music and movement. So I'm curious about how your method of instruction evolved into becoming a movement therapy uh, method. Because what I incorporate is a body-brain connection intervention. So what we, what we have is a 45-minute class uh, that looks just like a, a regular dance class. If you would go take a modern class or a ballet class or a jazz class, it's structured just like a, a typical uh, class. And typical, I wanted it to be typical because I, it's a full inclusion model. So it's not just kids with disabilities. It's a model of neurotypical individuals as well as individuals with, with special needs and uh, autism and related disorders. But it was designed specifically for autism in that it scaffolds the, mu the music and the movement. And there's repetition and patterns and sequencing within it. I believe that the brain responds to patterns, repetition, and sequencing, and that it wants that structure in its life. All of us do. And kids with autism, even more so, because they can't, they can't, decipher the variables in the environment like we can. They either have a, you know, all of our kids have a, to a lesser or greater degree, an audio receptive or expressive language processing disorder. They have a frontal lobe processing disorder. They have a cortical cortex, which is the way that the brain processes all the lobes and comes up with an idea or uh, some kind of a higher level thinking. And many of our kids, depending where they fall on the, on the curve, the bell curve, uh, are not able to 
are not able to uh, have deductive or inductive reasoning. And I found, and I think, you know, I'm not the only one, there's a lot of evidence-based research now, that the arts are very influential in, as an intervention, in stimulating the brain. Also, the arts allow us to see who the individual is. You know, most therapies, OT, speech and language, ABA, not, you know, that's not a judgment. These are all great therapies. All of our kids need all of these. Um, But they are done to the individual. The arts are the only therapies that require the individual's participation. And when the individual can participate, they can show us, one, who they are, two, they're successful, and usually the arts are done in a social situation. It's a win-win. We get to know who they are, they get to feel great about themselves, and they get to be in a social situation, be it theater, music, uh, dance. The only uh, art form that's done solo is really uh, visual art. Um, and our, many of our kids are very good visual artists, as we know, or graphic artists. And, um, and that's done, you know, more independent in an independent setting. But stimulation of the brain, repetition, patterning. The brain needs to pick up a pattern. It wants patterns. It wants patterns. It wants to find patterns. Many of our kids are pattern seekers and, uh, and, and do you know, show us through their art or their pencil or illustrations that um, they see what they see in their in their um, in their reasoning. Many times is patterns. You know, we have a lot of kids that are number numbers kids. That's perception of symbol. They perceive symbols very well. Uh, probably many of our kids who are excelling in the numbers. You know, that, that are numbers guys. We would always oh, a numbers kid. They're very very advanced in the in the right hemisphere of the brain uh more so than the typical neurotypical person like you or i and um and they do really well in accounting and they do really well in these skill sets that unless they get the other piece which is the social skill set if they can't be in a social situation they're not going to have a job that's the issue and so we have to look at all of this i think and look at it as you know we've been looking at intervention for individuals with autism uh, one through, you know, uh, K to 12 or K to 22. We now have to look at education of individuals with autism all the way past 22 and into what is their life going to look like when they transition out of a high school setting? Where are they going to live? Who are their friends going to be? And where are they going to work? And we're responsible. I feel that the public school system is responsible for a piece of that. We should be teaching that, and we're not. And this is where we have to go back to the drawing board and say, what piece is EdGov going to play and participate in, in the education of individuals with special needs, all special needs? And how are we gonna contribute that to a job? Because everything we do for these guys needs to be about a job, especially individuals with moderate to severe. Mild to moderate individuals with a mild, mild to moderate eligibility, those kids are going to keep up and move along and they can read and, you know, and then they're going to have to go out and compete with their typical peers at Bank of America, at McDonald's, wherever they go, they're going to be competing with their neurotypical peers. They can't hold up in an interview, many of them, because that social skills piece, they don't get the job. But the moderate to severe kids, those kids... They have what we call the school to couch model going for them, which means that 
they transition from school to the couch on their parents' couch. And that could be changed. You know, we're cradle to graving these individuals. And that's not, nobody wants to not have a place to go. Nobody wants to not have something to wake up for. I think that's a really good point and a perfect place to segue into, again, your movement therapy, because there are obviously, as you have touched so beautifully, uh, explaining how you have seen some of the parts of the brain that are affected or that are impacted positively by this therapy. What are some of the functional, most significant things, since we're talking about that transition and in those stages, what are some of the things that you see that functionally are being improved by the participation of these young adults in your in your method? Well, the first answer, it's a great question, Rebecca. And the first thing that I saw, which I didn't even plan to see, it was unbeknownst to me. I was like, wow, these kids are talking. Mm. And I knew it to be true because I, as I opened with that segment about Jose, who rolled on the floor and didn't have language and STEM and left talking, albeit, will you, with a cadence, um, but communicating and being able to, to have you know, a conversation and exchange information, which is what true communication is. Exchange of information from one person to another, sender or receiver, receiver or sender. And when I started doing the, first I had the autorobics DVD and that went out before I started the classes and mother started calling me and saying, my kid said his first word watching your autorobics DVD. And I was like, really? That's great lots of tears you know and and a lot of times kids will say their first words on a horse because of the rhythmic activity right. you know it's all about rhythm in the brain rhythm in the brain mm-hmm. and if we stimulate the the brain then we stimulate the cortical cortex if we stimulate the cortical cortex we stimulate the left and right hemisphere of the brain and in the middle of the left and right hemisphere of the brain is the um corpus callosum and that is where information passes through back and forth back and forth i like to say that our kids are one-sided they're only working from their right side usually and how do we know that because the left side of the brain is where speech and language lives speech and language lives in two areas of the brain the frontal lobe is the brocus and in the uh, temporal lobe is the wernicke's and those two areas of the brain are responsible for speech and language, actually talking and pragmatics, putting ideas into a speech pattern. They live on the left side of the brain. It's a given because uh, eligibility for autism, you have to have a speech and language deficit of some degree, audio processing or expressive language processing. So we know that that's an area that's impacted. Frontal lobe, way impacted for kids with autism. Why? That's the executive functioning area. It's the, you know, what's in your desk and uh, the papers and the, I can't remember where my backpack is. I don't know where, I, you know, executive functioning is the biggest deficit for our kids. Uh, and then I think, um, well, speech probably and then executive functioning. Um, being able to organize yourself is, um, is a tremendous skill set. And if you don't have that, again, can't get a job. So what we want to do is stimulate activity and interactivity between the left and right hemispheres of the brain. We can do that through a strong movement and music program. We can do that through a strong music program, although you don't get the gross motor at the back of the cerebellum with a just a, a flat-out music program, although it's a great 
music programs are fabulous. Don't I mean, I'm not making a judgment on this. Don't get me wrong. But movement and music together are as good as it gets because the brain has to uh, interpret the, the music. It has to visually uh, imitate the, the body language of someone else. Imitation is, is the key for kids with autism. Imitation is the core, is the core deficit key. Do this, do this, do this is all what ABA is. You know, do this, do this. Imitation is how we learn, all of us. Typical uh, babies learn because the mother says, do this. Or the mother says, what is this? And she says, cup. And the baby goes, cup. And she goes, oh, I love that it's cup. Uh, if, if we don't have that skill, then um, we don't, we, the brain doesn't mature into the developmental levels that are the benchmarks for neurological development. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and it's not to be interpreted as medical advice. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lysol Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101, for an initial free phone consultation. Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy. We're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed. Thank you so much for joining us today here on Lifestyle Improvement for part one of our interview with Joanne Lara. Miss Lara is an expert in the field of movement therapy. She is a professional dancer turned educator and founder of the Autism Movement Therapy Organization. Miss Lara is a columnist for Autism Asperger's Digest and is the author of the book, Autism Movement Therapy Method, Waking Up the Brain, a practical guide for the use of movement and music to stimulate brain function. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and don't forget to join your host, Rebecca Rogers, again next Sunday morning at 7.30 for part two of our interview with Joanne Lara.